and I uh, appreciate your prayers. I haven't been feeling the greatest, and that's why I haven't been um, out around. Normally, I try to get around and shake everybody's hand and things, but just haven't been feeling the greatest, and so uh, forgive me if I did not shake your hand. I'm not mad at you, okay? I'm not mad at you or anything. Uh, just haven't been feeling great, um, but it's great to be here this morning. And uh, I know you're probably wondering, I thought you said last week we were going to start in the book of, starting the book of Ephesians. Well, we are. Uh, we're starting the study through the book of Ephesians, and uh, our theme, of course, this year, uh, you can see on the screen and right here on the pulpit, is taken from Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10, where Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And uh, I'm telling you, I need that strength this morning, <laughs> okay? Um, but uh, we need that strength every day. Be strong. We need that strength. And, um, and so we're, we're going to be going through the book of Ephesians and studying it together. But um, the book of Ephesians doesn't begin in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, the book of Ephesians, uh, really, if you think about it, and again, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. Uh, as Paul was in Ephesus on one of his missionary journeys, uh, and we'll see in just a few minutes how some people get saved and a church is started there. And then several years later, Paul writes this letter to the church of Ephesus. He's writing back to this church that he had helped establish. And so to be able to really understand the book of Ephesians that Paul is writing, this letter that Paul is writing to the church, we have to understand how the church started. Uh, And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the beginning and the end of the church in Ephesus, right? That's what we're going to look at this morning, the beginning and the end of the church of Ephesus. And then uh, we're going to start going through the the book of Ephesians. um, And that's going to help us to understand what Paul is speaking about, because we're going to see the beginning of it. We're going to see the end of it today. And then next week, as we begin going through the book of Ephesians, that's really going to help us to understand why Paul is saying some of these things that he's saying now that we know the beginning and we know the end, right? How many of you, uh, if you re- you're reading a book and maybe it's a mystery or something like that, and man, you're just really into it and you're just like, I, I can't figure out who did it. And so you just go to the very back and just peek and you're like, I don't want to read the whole thing. I just, it's maybe there's something there that's going to give me a clue. How do you do that? Come on. Some of you are lying. You're lying this morning. That's not good to do in church, right? Okay. Um, no, but it's, it's nice to know the end of the story many times because when you know the end, as you're reading through, you're like, oh, I understand why this is happening now. I understand this and things. And so uh, we're going to look at that this morning. So in Acts chapter 19 is where we find, uh, where we find Paul on this missionary journey to Ephesus. We're going to begin reading, and we're not going to read the whole chapter here. It's, uh, it's quite lengthy, but we're just going to kind of uh, read a couple passages here. And we're going to start in verse number 8. And it says, he went into the synagogue, so he's in Ephesus now, and he spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years. So that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought into the sick uh, handkerchiefs or aprons, and the disease departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. So at the beginning of Acts chapter 19, Paul comes to Ephesus, and there's 12 people that get saved. 12 people begin the church of Ephesus, and then Paul starts uh, going to the synagogue, and he's there for three months, and he's trying to teach people about Jesus Christ. And of course, that's where the Jews were predominantly in the synagogues. And so as Paul is there teaching, he finds there's, there's kind of, uh, that he wasn't well received. Uh, and so after three months, they said, Hey, you know what, Paul, we really don't want to hear you anymore. You just, you just need to leave. And so Paul leaves and he finds another place there, uh, probably near the synagogue, this school of Tyrannus and Paul, um, basically rents this place for like two years, teaching and preaching about Jesus Christ here in Ephesus. That's a, that's a, that's a really, when you, when you look at many of the churches that Paul helped to begin, Ephesus was the one that he stayed in the longest at the beginning. Many of them where he was just there for a couple weeks or a couple months, but Paul stayed in Ephesus almost three years 
uh, in establishing this church, right? Now let's jump down to verse number 18. He says, uh, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. And so you have many of these believers throughout this two years that are uh, accepting Jesus. And many of them also, which use curious arts, brought their books together. Curious art is witchcraft. Okay? It's like witchcraft. Okay? They brought their books together and burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a pretty expensive burning right there. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Jump down to verse number 23. And the same time there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. Duh. Just think about that for a second. These are not gods which we made with our hands. Right? I mean, that's what he said. These are not gods which made with our hands. So that not only this, our craft is in danger to be said it not, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Father, I pray that you would work in the message this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd give me strength that I need. Lord, I pray that even this morning through your word, you would speak to hearts. Lord, as we begin this study through the book of Ephesians, that you would just open our hearts and our minds to what you'd have for us, Lord, that we would truly, truly learn. Lord, not just to be able to say we have knowledge, but Lord, to learn that we might apply these things to our lives. So, Father, I pray that you'd bless. Thank you for the great singing, the special music. Uh, Lord, what a beautiful uh, special. You've been so good to us, God. We don't deserve it. Lord, we thank you for it. And thank you for the privilege we have to meet together this morning. Bless now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The city of Ephesus was the center for really, you could say, uh, just pagan heathen activities. Um, if, do we have the map of there where it shows kind of where Ephesus is located? Is the map, can we put the map up there? Oh, there it is. So you can kind of see on the, the bottom right-hand side, that's where Jerusalem was. That's where the church starts. And then, uh, you, of course, you have Caesarea there. But then all the way kind of right, almost in the middle of the map, and these are showing different places that the Apostle Paul had gone to. But you have Ephesus uh, right there kind of. It was, uh, it was right there on the coast um, uh, in the Mediterranean Sea there. And, uh, of course, you can see where Philippi is and uh, Athens and Corinth and Antioch, some of these places that Paul went. But it it was estimated that Ephesus was uh, about 350,000 people in that day, which in that day, that's, that's a large city. Um, and it was situated right on the western coast of Asia Minor, or what that area now is referred to as Turkey. And it was here that really the, the, the east met west and west met east, right? Um, one of the seven wonders of the world was located here in Ephesus. We just read about that. Um, and this was where um, uh, Demetrius was so concerned because one of the great wonders of the world was the temple of the goddess Diana. Uh, this, this place was absolutely massive, um, and uh, it, was, it was the source really of uh, just terrible immoral uh, and spiritual depravity uh, because the temple worship there in, uh, in Ephesus uh, basically focused on uh, sensual pleasures and immorality. It was just a very, very wicked, wicked place. And and uh, uh, de- just really stooped in in uh, in uh, spiritism and witchcraft and sensuality and all of these things and of course now we find as Paul is here preaching um, things are beginning to change and and you see why Demetrius was so upset I mean imagine these people that had gotten saved they brought their books these these uh, witchcraft books and things and they have this big burning and, and these these this was expensive that fifty 
thousand pieces of silver worth of materials that were burned. And of course, because of what's happening now, uh, people aren't buying the, the idols, these, these uh, images of the goddess Diana that they, they would sell. They would craft, as, as uh, Demetrius was a silversmith, that they would craft these things and sell them, of course, uh, and make money. So Ephesus was kind of a, it was, it was really dependent upon this uh, temple of the goddess Diana. Uh, people would come from all over to come and see this, this enormous structure and, of course, uh, all the wickedness that was involved in it. Um, but because Ephesus was located right on the seacoast there, um, it had been a harbor at one time, but because they had, uh, they had allowed the harbor silt to, to build up so badly, ships began going south to another port called Smyrna. And so because of this, the city of Ephesus really depended upon the, the tourism of the goddess Diana's temple. Um, and of course, we know this is a false god, but silversmiths became prominent in selling the images of the goddess Diana, and uh, where, where, again, we find Demetrius and kind of stirring up trouble in Ephesus because uh, they weren't being sold as much. I mean, Paul and these other people that were getting saved were cutting into their profits, Right, and, and let's be honest, when you have a business and somebody starts cutting in on your profits, you don't really appreciate that. Okay? And, uh, and so these people didn't really appreciate that. So Ephesus was just really, uh, it was a central city, but very wicked. It was very wicked. And obviously what Ephesus needed was Christ. They needed Jesus Christ. And so Paul comes to Ephesus, and uh, again, as, as you can read through here, and uh, I would encourage you to go back and read all of chapter 19, and it even really kind of happens before this because a man by the name of Apollos uh, was actually one that was there in Ephesus before Paul, and, and he had done some preaching and things as well. But the, the church of Ephesus begins with, with 12 believers as Paul comes, and uh, they had a small beginning, uh, again, just 12 believers who had been one to the Lord, um, and uh, but they they were not they were not mature in the faith yet they hadn't really grown spiritually and so it was here that Paul comes and begins to basically make his headquarters in this area of of getting the gospel out and so Paul comes and again he's speaking in the synagogues which Whenever you find where, whenever Paul would go and preach, that would be the first place that he would go. Paul was a Jew, and so he would go to the synagogues where the Jews would meet, and that's where he would begin to teach and to preach about Jesus Christ. And notice what it says here. And he went into the synagogue, verse number eight, and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. And so Paul is here preaching, and he's trying to, to tell people about Jesus Christ. And, um, and uh, things begin to happen. Um, s- some people begin to listen. Some people aren't listening. The, some of the Jews begin to become very um, hard towards the things of Paul and what he's, what he's saying. And notice verse number 9, when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them, and he separated the disciples. And so there was some, there was some persecution among the Jews at first. Uh, they didn't really like what Paul was saying uh, because Paul is teaching that salvation is only by faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, he's not teaching the law. He's not teaching the law of Moses like the Jews were following. And so Paul is saying, hey, salvation is only through Jesus Christ. Well, do you know what happens when, when you begin to say that? When you begin to preach and teach that salvation is only by Jesus Christ, um, religion gets mad. Religious people get mad because, and, and I'm going to, I hope you don't get mad at me this morning for saying this, but just as much as uh, Demetrius and the silversmiths were upset because Paul was cutting in on their business, that's why the religious people were upset too. Because religion has become a business. Religion is not about an individual and helping them to know God and helping them to have a close walk with God. Religion is about money. It's about money. And, and trying to get as much of it as possible. Look, I understand. Look, at churches, you have to have money to be able to operate. You, you, you know, the uh, AES is not just going to give us free electricity. Uh, the city is not just going to give us free water. Those, th- we understand those things have to be paid for. But what I'm talking about is when religion becomes about business instead of about people. 
And this is exactly what we find here. Not only was Demetrius and the silversmiths upset at Paul because he was taking away from their business, but even the religious people of this day, uh, these, these Jews were recognizing, hey, if people start listening to Paul and people start following Paul, guess what's going to happen? They're not going to come back to the synagogues as much. And they're not going to come and listen to our teachings as much. And so what they do, they said, hey, you, we, we're not going to believe you. And in fact, they began to try to tell other people. Notice it says, but they spake evil of that way before the multitude. That They're trying to make sure that Paul looks evil, not just in front of them, but before everybody, because they're trying to keep people from following what Paul is teaching. My friend, can I tell you this morning, if you've been following a religion or if you've been thinking that somehow just by being good or by trying to keep the Ten Commandments or something like this, that somehow that's going to help you to get to heaven, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Because the Bible very clearly tells us that salvation is only through Jesus Christ. You see, that's what Ephesus needed. Ephesus did not need another religion. They needed Christ. And may I say this morning, what our town, what Eaton, Ohio, Eaton, Ohio does not need another religion. They need Jesus Christ. What our state needs is not religion. They need Jesus Christ. What our country needs is not religion. It needs Jesus Christ. It needs Christ. And, and you think about even our country, I think you could very aptly say that our country would be uh, a great picture of what Ephesus is. Uh, man, America is, is kind of the, everybody wants to go through America. But yet when you understand what really America is all about, it's not about God. It's not about, uh, about knowing Christ. Ephesus or America is about sensual pleasure. What you want, you do. That's, that's what Ephesus was about. That's what it was about. It was about sensuality. It was just about pleasure. And that's what our society is being taught here in America and in our country. Hey, it's not about God. You don't have to worry about pleasing God. There is no God. You're your own God. You just need to follow what you think is right. You just need to follow what you think is best for you. And don't let anybody tell you different. Friend, that leads to chaos. When you, when you begin to say there are no rules, there, there's no one that can tell you what you need to do, that's going to lead to chaos. Because there must be an absolute truth. And the absolute truth is found in the word of God. And the Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. It's not through religion. You can join First Baptist Church and, pardon me, but still die and go to hell. Because First Baptist Church cannot save you. You can join any church in this town. And still die and go to hell. Because a church cannot save you. A religion cannot save you. Your good works cannot save you. It is only Jesus Christ and him alone that can save you from your sin. And that's why Paul began to preach and teach Jesus Christ there in the synagogue for three months. And then when he departed from there, he comes to the school of Tyrannus and he begins to continue. Notice it says, and this continued by the space of two years. So for over two years now, Paul has been trying to teach and he's been trying to preach Jesus Christ. And through this, uh, he was able to establish a good church here during this time. Something is said that is quite remarkable about, about this church. Notice what it says here at the end of verse number 10. So that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Man, what a testimony to the church of Ephesus, right? They, they, had a, they had a small beginning. They only began with about 12. And then through the next couple of years, they, it begins to grow and, and begins to grow. And po- people are being uh, grounded in the faith. They're learning about Jesus Christ. They're learning what Christ wants for their life. And now through this next two and a half years or so, the Bible says that throughout all of Asia, that whole Turkey area, that Asia minor area, he says throughout that whole area, that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. Again, notice he wasn't saying, hey, we're starting some new religion. We're starting some. No, it says they heard the word of the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ was being preached. And all throughout that area, people began to be saved. Well, what happens when people come to know Christ as their Savior? Well, I think we find the second thing. There's a change that begins to take place. 
When someone truly comes to know Christ as their Savior, there's a change that is going to take place. Notice what happens. As Paul begins to preach, people get saved, and we see something very important that should be in the life of every Christian, and that is a change. These people had been stooped into idolatry. They had been stooped into uh, sensual pleasures and just living for self. And then they came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they began to realize, hey, this witchcraft that they had been following, all these curious arts and, and all these superstitions and this goddess Diana who was a false god, all these things were not true. This was all fake. It was all false. And what did they do? The Bible says that they brought... They brought the, these things, right? If you, if you go back to verse, verse number 17, and this was known to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on all them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. This is interesting. It says the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Paul wasn't trying to magnify himself. Paul wasn't trying to lift up who he was, an apostle. No, he's trying to lift up Jesus. He's trying to lift up Jesus. Last year, our theme was, he is greater than I. And what did John the Baptist say in John 3.30? He must increase and I must decrease, right? This is what Paul is saying. Hey, we want to lift up the name of Jesus. That's what we want to do. By the way, that's what we want to do here at First Baptist Church. We want to lift up the name of Jesus. We want to point people to Jesus Christ. He says, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Isn't that interesting? What do you think that means? Not only did they confess that they had put their faith in Jesus Christ, but he says they showed their deeds. You know what he's saying? There was a change. There was a change in their life. Something happened. When they came to know Christ as their Savior, it wasn't just, oh, yeah, I want to get saved so that I can go to heaven. No, no. And then just go on living the life that they want to live. No. They accepted Christ. They confessed Christ. They said, yes, we're willing to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And what did it do? It resulted in a change in their deeds, in their works, in what they were doing. You know what? No longer were they going to the, to the temple of the goddess Diana and worshiping there. No longer were they going out and spending money on these idolatrous things. No longer were they going and buying the books with the, with the, 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 the superstitions and the, uh, and, and the voodoo spells. And all. No, no longer were they doing that. They said, no, there's something that has changed. We've met someone named Jesus Christ, and he has changed our life. May I say that ought to be the the testimony of every Christian. When we met Jesus Christ, he changed our life. He says, many of them also which use curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. They said, hey, we've been been duped. We've been following this false religion. We've We've been following this goddess Diana. And we understand now that she is no goddess. She is no God. We serve the living God, Jesus Christ. And we want to make sure that everyone knows. And they brought all of their curious arts. They brought all these things that they had, they had acquired over all these years. And they had a bonfire. I love bonfires. Bonfires are just amazing, right? Especially when they're big, you know? You cannot have a small bonfire. If you have a small bonfire, don't call it a bonfire, you know? Call it a wimpy fire or something, you know? I mean, a bonfire means big, you know? I can just imagine what must have happened. I don't know where they did this. I don't know if they did it maybe in the city and they, where it was an open space or they did it outside the city. But I guarantee you, this bonfire was so big that people took notice of it. They took notice of what was going on. They took notice of all of this, these people. And they're like, what are you guys doing? Hey, we're, 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 taking, our, we're taking our books, all these, these books that we had bought that have all these false superstitious stuff and all these, these cultish things. We're going to take it. We're going to burn it. Not this. This is a songbook, by the way. Um, but they, we're going we're gonna to take it out. And we're going to burn it. And I could just see all these people bringing their, their books and, and their, their little voodoo dolls and their idols and everything. And, and they build this big old fire and, and people begin to come out and they begin to throw these books on the fire and they start throwing their idols and their, their dolls and all these different things. And this fire is just blazing. People say, man, don't you realize that costs money? Don't you realize that, that, that costs you money? Yeah, but that can't help me. And we want to get rid of it because it's false. It's not true. We're going to burn it. Man, well, sell it to somebody else. Let them have it. Yeah, make some profit off of it anyway. 
Now, if that can't help me, it can't help them, and they don't need it. We're going to burn it. We're going to get rid of it. Why? There was a change in their life. And watch what happens. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. And watch, watch what happened. Because of this change that took place, because of the change in their life, they had met Jesus Christ and there was something different about them now. Their works, their actions were showing something had changed. Man, the, the burning of the books and all these different artifacts and things showed there was a change. And what happened? So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. I want you to stop and think with me a minute. We're talking about a pagan city named Ephesus. The great goddess diana's temple was in this city and people came from all over the world to be a part of the debauchery and everything that went on here if you wanted to say you could say that this was this would almost be a place that the devil took pleasure in this was like this was the devil's seat on earth i mean the unimaginable things that took place in this city. What happened? The word of God grew mightily. Don't tell me there's no place that God's word can't work. Don't say, well, you know, our country's just too hopeless. Well, our country is hopeless, but let me tell you something. The word of God still works. God's word still changes lives. But see, here's the problem, friend. Christian, here's the problem. Why don't we see the word of God growing mightily? Why don't we see the word of God growing mightily in our city? Why don't we see the word of God growing mightily in our state? Why don't we see the word of God growing mightily in our country? I can tell you why. Because Christians aren't willing to show a change that Jesus has made. The only way that the word of God was able to grow mightily is because of the change that people saw in those people's lives that got saved. You understand that? The only reason that the word of God, think about, again, think about what he says here, right? He says here, and many of them also, which used the curious arts and brought their books together, burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them, 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. The word of God prevailed because Paul was preaching Jesus Christ and those that were there were preaching Jesus Christ. But it wasn't just preaching, you know, easy believism. Hey, just get saved so you can go to heaven. No, that's not what they were preaching. They're preaching Jesus Christ can save you from your sin. And when he does that, he's going to change your life. Do you honestly think that it was easy for those people to take all of those books and their curious arts and everything and to burn them publicly? You don't think there was family members saying, hey, you're a fool for doing this. You don't think there were friends saying, you're nuts, man. You're, you're just, you're just some, this Jesus freak that's just, you just sold out. What's, what's wrong with you? You don't think they had people opposing them? I mean, that's why Paul had to leave the synagogue because he was being opposed. And, and that's why we find other people opposing Paul while he's there. We get this idea, all oh, Christians in the Bible, they just had it easy. That's why they were able to do great things for God. No, they had it hard. The reason why they were able to do great things for God is because they let God change their life. We want salvation and we want it to still be easy. Friend, God never promised that. God never said, if you believe on me, everything's just going to be hunky-dory. That's what we want, though. That's what we want. Hey, they were willing to show the change that God had made in their life. Not privately. They did this publicly. They were public about it. They weren't trying to hide him like, well, I just don't want to offend anybody. 
you know, I, I, probably shouldn't, you know, I probably shouldn't burn these. That might offend the person that made it. Or I probably shouldn't burn these. I know my neighbor, he, he follows this or, or she really likes these things. I don't, I don't want to do this publicly because then that might offend them. Wait a minute, friend. Do, do you understand? They needed Jesus. They needed Jesus. They didn't need somebody to be afraid of what was going to happen. They needed somebody to tell them about Jesus Christ. What our country needs is not Christians who are afraid to take a stand for Jesus Christ because we're afraid we might offend somebody. We need to understand that they need Jesus. And the only way they're going to see Jesus is in you and me. Are we willing to be the change that they need to see to know Jesus? We want Jesus, but then we want just everything just to go smooth sailing. No, friend. When they met Jesus Christ, something changed in their life. And they weren't ashamed of it. They wanted everybody to know. By the way, this is exactly what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I wonder how many of these people that were taking their arts and books and things to be burned, I wonder how many of them had to be asked, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? I don't think they had to be asked. You know why? It was obvious. They weren't going to the temples anymore. They weren't living that sensual life anymore. They weren't following the, 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 the voodoo and they, they weren't following the idols. They weren't doing that stuff anymore. It was obvious. Nobody had to say, are you a Christian? It was obvious. There was a change in their life. I wonder, is it obvious to people that you're a Christian? Is it obvious that you're a Christian? Can they say, we see there's a change in your life. Or do they actually have to ask you, are, are you a Christian? If they have to ask you that question, maybe we're not being as visible as what we think we are. Maybe we're not allowing the change that Jesus Christ has made in our life to be seen publicly so that others can see Christ in us. You say, well, if, man, it sounds like this church was a pretty good church. I mean, they started small. They began to grow. Man, they're, they're, I mean, look what they did. They're publicly talking about Jesus Christ. The church is growing. They're burning all their, their witchcraft and things. I mean, even uh, Demetrius and these others, man, they, they try to get people together to rally against Paul and, and to try to kick him out because they're, they're, you know, they're, they're losing on their stuff. So why would this church... Why would this church need a letter written to them? I mean, normally when Paul writes a letter to a church like Corinth or some of these other churches, there's, there's some issues going on. And so Paul ends up writing a letter and trying to address some things and correct some things. And so why would Paul write a letter to the church of Ephesus if things were going so well? Well, this letter was written several years after the church is founded. It's written after Paul has left the church. He left it there and the church continued. But Paul began to hear of some changes in the church that concerned him. Changes that weren't for the good. One in specific. This was also a concern of the Apostle John when he also, under the inspiration of God, wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus. He said, John wrote a letter to the church of Ephesus? I don't remember John writing a letter to the church of Ephesus. Well, it was a very short letter, <laughs> very short. In fact, shorter than even the book of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, which are only about 18 verses there. The church that, or the, the letter that Paul or John wrote to the church of Ephesus was only seven verses. And it's found in another book of the Bible. It's called the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
If you hold your place here in Acts chapter 19 and go with me to the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible, chapter number 2. John writes of the very concern that Paul has. In Revelation chapter 2, in verse number 1, he says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write. So Jesus Christ is speaking to John the Apostle, not John the Baptist, John the Apostle. And Jesus Christ is telling John the Apostle what to write. And Jesus says to John, write this unto the church of Ephesus. And what does he say? These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, talking about Jesus, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. I got to say, if I got a letter from Jesus Christ, which I have a great letter from him, but if I got a personal letter, if First Baptist Church got a personal letter from Jesus Christ, and it started out like verses 1, 2, and 3, I'd be like, wow, we must be doing something right. You know, I mean, all that he says in there is just he's commending the church, right? I mean, think about what he says. You know, he, what does he say here? He says, uh, um, their labor is commended. Verse number two, I know thy works, thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them, which are evil. That's pretty good. That'd be a good thing to be said of a church, right? Hey, I know your works, your labor, your patience. You don't, you don't put up with anything that's evil. That's a good thing that their loyalty was praised. He continues there. He says, thou hast tried them, which say they are apostles and are not Hast found them liars and has borne and has patience and for in my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. I mean, he says, look, you've been loyal to me. You've been loyal to the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, people that come in and say they're apostles, you've, you've tested them. You've really found out that they're nothing but liars. They're charlatans. He says, you've, you've been faithful. You've been, you've been holding to, uh, you know, to, uh, to the work that you've been doing. You're patient. You're not putting up with evil. It's pretty good. Until he gets to verse number four. In verse number four, he says, nevertheless, he says, even though you've done some really good things, there's something I need to talk to you about. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. And watch, because thou hast left thy first love. Now, remember who he's writing to. He's writing to the church of Ephesus that we've just been reading about in Acts chapter 19. This church that began small, but God began to multiply and people began to get saved and people, the church began to grow and their works were being magnified throughout the city and people began to turn to Jesus Christ because they saw the change. And he says, this is what I have against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come into thee quickly and I'll remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches to him that overcometh. Will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. He's writing to the church. He says, Hey, yeah, there's some good things. You've been, you've been doing good work. You've been laboring. You've been, you've been checking out these guys that say they're apostles and, and you found out that they're not really true apostles, but here's the problem church. Here's the problem. You've left your first love. You've left your first love. Their lack of love for Jesus Christ is being lamented here. It was this lack of love that it was a concern to Paul as well. When we, as we begin to go through the book of Ephesians, you'll find that Paul mentions love 14 different times in the book of Ephesians. Why is that so important? Can I say this morning? Because the Lord has no use for a church that no longer loves him. You say, that's harsh. 
friend, I didn't say it. Jesus did. Jesus said it. He said, you better return to your first love. You better repent and return to your first love, or I'm going to come and put your candlestick out. The candlestick's referring to the church, and he says, I'll snuff you out. Because he doesn't need a church that's full of, just full of a bunch of work. He doesn't need a church that's just full of, you know, okay, this, this person's true and this person's not true. This is a false prophet. This is a good person. No, he says, I, I don't need a church that's full of that. He said, what I need is a church that loves me. He said, you started that way. You started that way. You started having love for me. When I saved you, you recognized the change that took place in your life. It was important to you. And you let that change be visible to a lost and dying world around you. And it made a change in their life. It made a difference in them. The word of God was magnified. Jesus Christ was lifted up. But here's a problem, church. You don't love me anymore. Now, how can a church, how can a church that's working, laboring, testing, the, uh, testing these people that say they're of God or not, how can a church that is doing that not love the Lord anymore? Because it's all just being done in the flesh. It's not being done for the Lord. It's not being done to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. It's not being done to magnify the word of God. It's being done for self. And Christian, can I say this morning, we have to be very careful that we don't come like the church of Ephesus. Because here's what destroyed the church of Ephesus. It was not false doctrine that destroyed the church of Ephesus. It wasn't immoral sin in the church that destroyed the church of Ephesus. You know what destroyed the church of Ephesus? Formality. Complacency. Well, it's Sunday. It's time to go to church again. Let's go. Oh, make sure we have our Bible. We don't want to forget our Bible. The preacher's going to preach out of a Bible. All right, let's take our Bible. Oh, it's time to sing. Let's sing. And can it be? Let's sing. We're going to sing. Oh, it's time to give. Let's give. The offering plate's coming by. We're going to give. Oh, the preacher's preaching. We're going to listen. We're going to open our Bible. We're going to turn to where he says. We're going to listen. And then what happens? Service is done, and we walk out, and nothing changes. Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm a Christian. I'm going to read my Bible today. I open my Bible. I read a chapter. Did my duty. I read my Bible today. Aren't I a great Christian? It's not false doctrine that destroyed the church of Ephesus. It was formality. Just complacent. Hey, we're in church, aren't we? I mean, preacher, sure I mean, if we're in church, surely we love God, right? No. I don't know why you're here. Why are you here? Is it just because of formality? Is it just because, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm a member of First Baptist Church, so I'm expected to be there. That's formality. That's complacency. Why are you here? Why, why do you read your Bible every day? I hope you do, but why do you? Is it just to be able to check that off the, the duty list? Oh, I did, I did that today. I must be a great Christian. I mean, think of all the Christians that aren't even reading their Bible today. I did. Look at that. I mean, look at all the Christians that aren't in church today. I'm here. I must be a great Christian. Must be a good one. I mean, I sang the songs. You know, wasn't on key all the time, but I sang, you know. I gave, I put money in the offering. 
I tithe, I give to missions. I, I must be a great Christian. I mean, God must be really impressed with me. God says, yeah, your work is good. You've done some good things. And you're testing the prophets, that's good. But here's the problem. You have no love for me. And friend, I'm afraid the church of Ephesus, by the way, it's not there anymore. Is the exact typification of our churches today. We've got a lot of activity going on. And there's nothing wrong with activity. There's nothing wrong with events. There's nothing wrong with classes and things like that. We've got a lot of work going on. We've got a lot of labor going on. We've got a lot of check and doctrine going on. Is this person right? Is that person right? Okay. We've got a lot of that going on, but here's the problem. There's no love for Jesus Christ. And Christ says, if you're a church that is supposed to be magnifying the name of Jesus Christ and you don't love me, what good are you? What good are you? And this is why he tells the church of Ephesus, you better repent. I'm giving you an opportunity to repent because if you don't, I'm going to snuff out your candlestick. I don't know how long God gave them to repent. But I know this. The church of Ephesus got snuffed out. They lost their love for Jesus Christ. Christian, do you remember that day that you accepted Christ as your Savior? I don't know why. God would save me. I don't know. But I remember, 20 years of age, in that college dorm, I got on my knees and asked Jesus Christ to save me. I remember that. And I wish I could say, I've always loved him the way I did then. We get so preoccupied with life and the busyness and all the activities and the work. We don't even realize that we don't love him anymore. I mean, I'm here. Isn't that enough? That's not what he wants. He wants you to love him. Remember the change that he made in your life? Remember the direction you were going before you met him? And the change that he made? How different you became? What happened? What happened to that? Have we become complacent? It's all just formality now. We just do a duty, just a duty. Come to church, read our Bibles, sing. It's all duty. But where is the love for our Lord Jesus Christ? Because if it's not there, why does he need this church? If there's no love for Christ at First Baptist Church, there's no need for First Baptist Church. He doesn't need another church just to be another formality. There's plenty of those out there. We want to be a church that loves Christ. We want to be a church that magnifies the name of Jesus Christ. A church that, hey, we're not perfect, starting right here. We're not perfect, but we want people to see a change in us. We want them to see a difference that Jesus can make in their life as well. Started good. Ephesus did. But they didn't end up so well. 
We're going to see some of those things that Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians. But here's a great thing. You get to ter- determine how it ends. You get to determine how it ends for you. Will it end like Ephesus? Or will it end with Jesus Christ saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant? How will it end? With their heads bowed and their eyes closed, no one looking about this morning. Friend, maybe you're here today. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Friend, it's not about religion. It's not about being a good person. It's about putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I'm saved. I don't know if I died where I would be. I don't know that. But I would like to know how I could have my sins forgiven. I'd like to know how I could be saved and know that heaven is my home with Jesus Christ. It's not about religion. It's not about good works or following the Ten Commandments. It's about Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I'd like to know more about that. Friend, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But I would like to pray for you this morning. You say, Pastor, that's me. I'd like to know more about how to be saved. Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? Just slip it up, put it right back down. Nobody else is looking about. Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not sure. But I'd like to know. Anyone this morning, Pastor, pray for me. And Christian, if you know Christ as your Savior, do you remember that day that he saved you? Remember that day? Remember the change that he made in your life? Have we just become complacent? Just all a formality now. We've lost our love for Christ, just like the church of Ephesus did. Friend, it doesn't have to stay that way. You decide the end. You decide whether your life is going to end like the church of Ephesus, where their candle was snuffed out. God had no use for them because it was a church that was filled with self, no love for Christ. How will your life end? Father, I pray that you'd work in our hearts this morning. Lord, how we get so complacent. We just go through the motions, and there's no love for you. Lord, would you help us? Lord, help us not to end like the church of Ephesus. Lord, maybe there's somebody here this morning that they've become complacent. They're just doing it all out of formality. Lord, would you break their heart this morning? Lord, even now, begin working in their heart if you haven't already. They would surrender to you and say, Lord, I've lost my love for you. It's all just been formality. Lord, I need to repent and I need to return and love you for what you've done for me. Father, help us. Their heads bowed and their eyes closed. We're just going to stand quietly. The piano's just going to begin to play softly.